Hello and welcome to episode seven of Oh and the Saints. I'm your host, Patrick Serlis. With me once again is my co-host, Jack. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all good. Thanks, Pat. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thanks. Uh, big show today. We've got Joshua Law on the podcast, a South American football expert based in Sao Paulo, Brazil, who will be telling us the story of Charles Miller. And for those Saints fans who aren't aware, and, and I was one of those before this week, uh, Charles Miller is known in Brazil as the father of uh, football in Brazil. He introduced the sport to the country and now they are the most successful uh, football nation in the world with five World Cup winners medals. And Charles Miller played and grew up. Uh, He grew up in Southampton and played for St Mary's FC as they were in in the 19th century and the club went on to become Southampton St Mary's and now Southampton. So it's a great story for Saints fans and one I think that not too many Um, supporters are familiar with so we wanted to get Josh on to chat a little bit about Charles Miller um, and to find out more about him basically but before we get to that I wanted to have a quick chat with you Jack about South Americans playing for Southampton because Charles Miller was actually born in Brazil and then grew up in Mm -hmm. Southampton he was technically the first South American to play football in Europe Um, so a bit of a trailblazer there we've had a few South Americans since then to play for us not a great record when it comes to players no. from that continent playing for Southampton. So you, you wanted to do a little top three, didn't you? But who are some of the players that definitely don't make that list? Um, definitely don't make the list. I'd say Guido Carrillo. I think, I know we Absolutely. called him out. We called him out last week on the podcast. That, um, you know, cost 20 million quid and has made zero impact. So I think he's probably the worst South American, I'd say, to play for us. Absolutely. Yeah, no, we should keep calling him out every week until he leaves the club, I think. (laughs) (laughs) He's 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 a disaster. Yeah, (laughs) disaster signing. Who else? Quite a few other ones that have been. Yeah, quite a few. I think Martin Ciceres is in there as well. I think we brought him in on loan. He did absolutely nothing. And Augustin Delgado, one league goal for Saints. And I think we brought him in for a few million quid. Uh, But just, yeah, I think think you mentioned before, quite, quite injury prone at the club. Uh, just didn't didn't have the impact that we wanted him to have at quite an important time. So I yeah, think he's yeah, down there. he's definitely one. I remember we signed him for like three and a half million pounds, and he was Ecuador's all-time record goal scorer. And there was quite a bit of buzz about bringing him into the mm. team. But there was something about him playing at the 2002 World Cup, and he was playing through injury, and then he turned up at St Mary's, and his, he had dodgy knees, and mm. didn't really see eye to eye with Gordon Strachan. Barely played for us. Like you said, I think he scored one goal. Um, but yeah, he was an absolute disaster. And then we pretty quickly shipped him back to South America where he played for a little bit longer and he's now um, in the National Assembly in Ecuador. He's a politician, obviously a hero uh, in the country. 31 goals in 71 international games. So very good record for his country. Uh, nowhere near being a Saints hero though, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, definitely not definitely not um, but yeah before I get on to the top three just a quick notable mention to John Viafara from Colombia who is currently fighting extradition to the United States I think but um, just wanted to give him a quick shout out because uh, he had a big moment for Saints didn't he he did he did and uh, I was just having a look before the before the podcast that because the moment that I remember is that derby goal the one that he scored away at Pride Park in the in the playoffs it must have been 2006 or so and there's a really funny picture if you type in John Viafara Derby goal where he's just taking his shirt off in front of the away end with just 
I sorry I ruined the party on the front. <laughs> just with limbs in the background. Some Colombian who looks about 58 just with I sorry I ruined the party to loads of Saints fans. Oh, that was great. Yeah, so go on then. Who's the top three? Top three, rattle them off. Gaston at number three. Might mm-hmm. divide opinion. I know we brought him in for 12 million quid when we got promoted to the Prem with a lot of hype around him. Liverpool and Spurs were rumoured to be interested. Super excited to see you. I was watching loads of YouTube videos thinking, who's this South American wizard that we've signed? Didn't live up to expectations. I agree with that. But he did have some good moments for us. He did score a few worldies. And to be honest with you, Pat, there's not a massive amount of quality in this list. So he's, <laughs> he's made number three. Um, no, that's fair enough. Yeah. That, that goal at Everton was decent. I mean, he had a few yeah. moments, like you said, but yeah. by and large failed to live up to expectations. Who's two? Two, I've gone for Stern John, which... Mm-hmm. Um, okay. From Trinidad and Tobago, which I actually had a quick Google for that. This is definitely in South America. But um, his record is better than I remembered, actually. 20 goals for us um, in 52 appearances uh, between 2007-2009. And I think he makes number two solely for his performance against Sheffield United, just uh, to keep us up in the championship. Definitely. Huge game. Two goals and sent off. Kept us up. Yeah. Exactly. So I think he's he's getting the, the silver medal for that one just on that performance alone, really. Okay. Um, and which leaves only one name, I think, at number one. Could only be one no, person. Exactly. I think everyone knows who I'm going to say here, but I've gone for Gooley de Prado. Um, but yeah, I think we should dedicate a whole other podcast to Gooley because we could speak about him for a few hours, couldn't we? Easily. Absolutely love Gooley. He's one of the people that I one of my dream guests. I don't even know if he speaks English. We might need a translator. I might get Josh. He speaks Portuguese. Maybe we'll get him to translate for us, but love Gooley. Yeah, that's a good shout. But um, yeah, he was just, again, playing for Saints at that time when we got back-to-back promotions, scored a couple worldies, like that Blackpool goal in the FA Cup that I remember. Great player in the championship as well. I think he must have got double figures in the championship and just, yeah, produced a lot of quality, didn't he? He did. Yeah, Jos Oiveld said it. Well, when we spoke to him for this podcast, he said he would do nothing all game. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he'd score a screamer or he'd just produce a bit of quality. And he really did have that kind of South American flair, which which brought a lot to the club, considering we were in League One uh, and the Championship. He was a crucial player for us in those seasons. So, yeah, worthy, worthy number one. And I think he's head and shoulders above most of them. Definitely, definitely. So yeah, there it is. Goody Deparo, the best ever South American to wear the winning white stripes. <laughs> okay, we'll have to let him know. We'll have to let him know and hopefully he'll come on and speak to us. He's commenting on a lot of the Instagram posts, isn't he? I've seen, he is. I've seen that. He's he loving is. the content. He's active. He's active. He's active on Owen the Saints Instagram. Just loads of fire emojis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I wonder where he is now. Is he back in Brazil? I'm not sure to be honest. Um, we'll bring down. we'll bring Josh in in a second. We might ask him actually what's what's Gooley up to because I think he returned to play in Brazil. Mm. Um, but let's let's speak to Josh now um, about Charles Miller uh, and get the full story on on this Saints legend. Basically, I mean he didn't play for the club for that long, but in terms of his impact in football history, it doesn't come much bigger than introducing the sport to the country that are probably widely regarded to be the best in the world at football so let's bring Josh into the podcast now 
I'd like to welcome Josh Law to the podcast. Josh is the editor of Yellow and Green Football, um, a great resource if you're interested in Brazilian football. It's written in English, um, which is important, uh, I think, for our audience. Um, but Josh is also a freelance writer for the likes of Guardian Sport, uh, Forbes, Give Me Sport, Blizzard. Um, have I missed anyone, Josh? Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, no? <laughs> what else? I occasionally, I occasionally write the odd piece for... Uh, Uau Esporte, which is a Brazilian site. Okay, cool. So, um, so there you go. So, yellow and green football. Did you just want to tell our audience a little bit about what's uh, what they can what they can find on that website? So, we've been going for about two years now, um, mm-hmm. and just, we write about everything to do with Brazilian football in English. So, it's the only site that is dedicated to Brazilian football in English. We talk about the national team. Uh, domestic competitions, young players, a bit of history stuff as well. So it's a variety. Um, and we've just started a, a podcast. So we've done two episodes of a yellow and green podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and the most recent one I think people will find interesting is about Ronaldo, Ronaldo Phenomeno, his career. Okay. Um, specifically focused on his injury because it's exactly 20 years since his really bad knee injury. Um, so if people are interested in Brazilian football, learning a bit more um, about Brazilian football culture, then go to is ygfoot.com. Okay, no, that sounds great. And I know you've uh, recently, I've seen, I've seen a few pieces on there, but you've done a few interviews as well, mm-hmm. haven't you, with a few different players. And, um, and I mean, the amount of South American players that come to Europe and, and increasingly to the Premier League, I think mm-hmm. like you mentioned there, young players-wise, it's quite a it's quite a good opportunity to get a little bit of insight to some of these players before they make their way over to Europe. Yeah, that's sort of the idea, really. I think that's one of the main attractions of South American football, really. Yeah. Now, um, the quality isn't always the best, the quality of the domestic games, but like being able to see those young players developing before they get to the Premier League is really interesting, like seeing how they, where they come from, how they develop and what they go on to achieve in the big European leagues. So we, we do quite a lot of stuff on that. Yeah, no, it sounds good. Well, the reason why we wanted to get you on uh, this week was to talk about um, a link to Southampton. Uh, as, I, as I mentioned to you before, before we started recording was, I just literally Googled Southampton and Brazil just to see if there was any, any reason why, how we could get you onto the podcast. And the story <laughs> of Charles William Miller popped up and it was one, as a Saints fan, I didn't know. So I thought it was, it was interesting to do a bit of digging there and find out more um, about this f- former Saints player who uh, quite grandly has been titled the father of Brazilian football, which considering Brazil has gone on to win five World Cups and is probably most closely synon- uh, related to, to football, is quite a, quite a grand title for him. Um, and, and yeah, I just wanted to find out a bit more about the story. So I did some digging. Uh, there's, a, there's a film that, that you recommended called Miller and Freed, um, which is, which is in, in Portuguese, but with English subtitles. Mm. That, was, that was interesting and kind of tells his story. So did, did you want to give a little bit of background on, on Charles Miller um, and how he, his importance, I guess, to, to football in Brazil? So, yeah, like you said, he is touted as the man who introduced football to Brazil, which is a slightly disputed claim, but he, he probably has the best claim amongst the people who claim to have done so. Um, he, he was born in Brazil, so he, he was the son of a Scottish railway engineer 
and a, a Brazilian mother of English descent. Um, and the, the way he introduced football to Brazil was he was sent to Britain to study. He was sent to a boarding school in Hampshire. Um, and he stayed there for 10 years, I think. Uh, yeah, about around 10 years from when yeah. he was about 10 to when he was around 20. Um, and there he learned to play football, uh, cricket, rugby and water polo. Um, apparently, apparently he's also the man who introduced water polo to Brazil, which is a, <laughs> a slightly less bold claim perhaps, but <laughs> an intriguing aside. Are, they quite, are, they, are Brazil good at water polo? They are quite good, aren't they? I think they're reasonably good, yeah. It's not, yeah. It's not my most followed sport. <laughs> Pat, you'll have to forgive me for my lack of water polo knowledge. But, <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. We know, we know they're good at football, so we'll stick yeah, with that. Um, so he went to study at uh, a school in Hampshire, uh, and there he learned how to play football and he was really quite good at football um, by all accounts so he was picked for I think he was he was a school star player um, and then he would get picked for the Hampshire 11 so when teams from London or from other parts of England visited Hampshire they'd play a Hampshire 11 and he was a regular feature of that team from mm. when he was sort of uh, around 16 or 17 to when he moved back to Brazil when he was uh, 20. Um, and he also then from there went on to play for St. Mary's, which has, is now what we know as Southampton FC. Uh, I think he played, he played one full season for St. Mary's. Um, um, and he played against the big teams of the time. Uh, Corinthian FC uh, yeah. was the the sort of star attraction of English football at the time. Um, they still exist in London. Yeah. Um, as Corinthian casuals now. And they also played quite a big, an important role in popularising football later on in Brazil, um, which maybe we can come to later. But So he, he played and he learned and he got good at football in, in England. He was a outside right, I believe, and quite a good goal scorer. Um, and then when he returned to Brazil, um, the, the story goes that he got the ship from Southampton to Santos, which is a port city near Sao Paulo, which is famous for the team of Pelé and Neymar. Um, mm -hmm. And when he got off the boat, his dad was waiting for him uh, on, the, on the dock. And he apparently was carrying a football under each arm and in his bag, he had the, in his trunk, he had the rules of football, a set of kits and a pump to pump the balls up. And his dad asked him, what is that? What have you got? Uh, I was expecting to see with a degree certificate. And he said, dad, I've got a degree in football, which <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know how much of that to believe. I think it's a, an apocryphal tale. But it's quite <laughs> it's a, a nice, it's, it's a good one, isn't it? Um, it's a good one. It's a good line for to tell his dad. <laughs> yeah. So, and there's a sort of mysticism that surrounds it. So he was born in Brazil. So there's this sort of like, he had this innate attraction to football from being born in Brazil. There, there's a lot of myth and legend around 
the fact that people played a version of football before he introduced formal football to Brazil, that um, slaves and native Brazilians would play these sort of ball games with their feet. Um, which, again, it, it's perhaps more myth and legend than mm. reality, but it builds this myth of Brazil as a natural uh, breeding ground for football. He, he introduced this sport that the Brazilians had a natural ability for, sort of natural aptitude. Um, and then he introduced it and he went back to Sao Paulo Athletic Club, which is a sort of high society sports club, members club, um, which a lot of the British expat community were members of in Sao Paulo at that time. And still now, it still exists. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is like late 19th century then, isn't right, it? Exactly, so it's like, yeah. He, he left yeah. Brazil in 1884. He was born in 1874, left Brazil in 1884, returned in 1894. Um, right. Okay. And then, uh, very quickly organised the first game of football to be played. Supposedly, the first game of football to be played under football association rules in Brazil, um, in São Paulo, on a piece of sort of scrubland just to the east of the city centre, mm-hmm. um, which was played uh, between the railway workers and the gas works team. Um, which is interesting because if, if you look at sort of a wider picture, it, this is indicative of how football was introduced more widely to South America and to the world as well. You get similar stories in Argentina, Mexico, Chile, um, certainly that I know of. And then I imagine there are similar tales in Africa and parts of Asia of British either sailors railway engineers, uh, miners, school teachers, or merchants introducing football. Often it comes through the port cities. So in in Argentina, it was Buenos Aires. Then from there, the sport becomes popular amongst the sort of expat elite. Yeah. uh, Quote, unquote. Um, (laughs) That is exactly what happened in Brazil. So, so he convinced his club members at Sao Paulo Athletic Club to form a team. The Gasworks formed a team. The Railway Men formed a team. Uh, there was a, then a new club um, from Mackenzie, which is a Presbyterian university in Sao Paulo, which was founded by Scottish uh, religious or a Scottish religious order. Um, and that became the foundations for the Campeonato Paulista, which still exists, the Sao Paulo State Championship. Um, and they would start playing against each other. But it remained for quite a long time a game of the elite, a game of the yeah. wealthy, uh, played behind walls in exclusive sport clubs. Um, these were really rich people, upper middle class and upper class, and then upper class Brazilians came into it and started forming their own teams. Um, And it took a while before the game really became popular outside. So at first, um, Brazilians found the game really strange. Um, So I was looking, David Goldblatt wrote a book about the history of Brazilian football. 
Um, and there's a great quote that I was looking at this morning. Um, so from a, a Rio newspaper in just after football was introduced in the late 19th century, it said, In Bonhechiru, a group of Englishmen, a bunch of maniacs as they all are, get together from time to time to kick around something that looks like a bull's bladder. It gives them great satisfaction or fills them with sorrow when this kind of yellowish bladder enters a rectangle formed by wooden posts. Um, so it, the, <laughs> the Brazilians are sort of slightly wary of these odd, violent Englishmen with their weird game at first. Um, but then after that, it became more and more popular. It spread outside the walls of these exclusive sports clubs. And people who saw them playing started to imitate the game on the streets, on the sort of wastelands that surrounded factories. Um, so, yeah, he is re this really, really central character. Charles Miller has this really important role um, in, in disseminating football. There are other pockets. There are Germans who went to the south of Brazil who introduced football. There's a guy yeah. called Oscar Cox, um, who is an industrialist, a Brit another Anglo-Brazilian industrialist who introduced football to Rio uh, around the same time. But Charles Miller is this massive figure in Brazil. That's quite an interesting bit of that Miller and Freed um, documentary, actually, about the, the kind of rivalry between Sao Paulo and Rio. And that's kind of like Oscar Cox in Rio, I guess, and Charles Miller in Sao Paulo. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, there's tons of history in there and it's, and it's very, very interesting. But I thought it was interesting what you said about um, football being int introduced to Brazil through the railway workers and and as you mentioned, John Miller, as, the, the, as Charles's Scottish father, um, did some digging and the, the Daily Echo did, a, did an article on him um, a few years ago. I think it was before the 2014 uh, World Cup in Brazil. Um, and it was quite interesting about him traveling to Brazil as an as a expat, as an immigrant, um, along with 3,000 other workers. He was a railway engineer. And, and at the time, I guess Brazil was industrializing and... Mm. I'm not sure what the industry necessarily would have been. Maybe, maybe coffee yeah, or coffee, plantations. Yeah. yeah His coffee. mom, Charles Miller's mum was from a coffee family, a sort of coffee okay. plantation owning family. Yeah. So he went along there to build a railway um, or to help build the railway. Um, and, and yeah. And, and from there they sent Charles back to Southampton, as you said, and from a little look on Google maps, he went to, Banister to Court School, yeah, uh, that's right. which which is just south, for, for those of you in Southampton, it's just south of Southampton Common, um, located on present day Charles Knott Gardens, uh, although the school was demolished in 1927, um, which is just near the Archers Road. So again, an another link to, to Saints history. Um, the Bannister Court would later become the site of the Dell, which was built on, on a corner of, of that Bannister Court estate. Uh, so yeah, as you mentioned, he stayed in in Southampton at school initially for I think nine or ten years, uh, St Mary's FC as they were as they were known then, and by all accounts he was he was a decent player. Uh, the position's slightly different. I think you mentioned was he outside right, so that's, that's a winger basically, yeah, isn't it? Basically, yeah. Yeah, um, and there's some great there's some great quotes in the Daily Echo article actually about um, kind of I guess what you would call scouts, but people that were watching him play for the school team and then him getting picked up um, mm. to play for, to Corinthian. Um, as you said, there's, there's lots of links between 
uh, I guess immigrant British immigrants to Brazil and and Brazilian football. One mm. of them being kind of Corinthians is one of the most popular and successful teams in Brazil, and they're based. Are they are they based in Sao Paulo? Yeah. So that, that's a sort of uh, a few years after Charles Miller had brought football to Brazil, and it was starting to become popular amongst the elite, and also starting to spread out to the working class communities around the edge of the city, Corinthian FC came to tour Sao Paulo. Mm-hmm. Um, and they drew huge crowds, like massive crowds. There's, there was a stadium called the Velodrome, which was a Velodrome. It had a tr- sack track, uh, cycling track around it and then a football pitch in the middle. Um, and I think tens of thousands of people went to watch or tried to go to watch and there wasn't enough space for everyone. And they inspired uh, some people from the working class areas to copy this, um, to copy them. To, they wanted to be like them. Um, so they founded Sports Club Corinthians Paulista. Uh, so sort of uh, a Brazilianized version of, of this Corinthian um, team. And for people who don't know about Corinthian, it was an amateur side. So when yeah. football was still amateur before the professionalization, um, it was it stayed amateur to maintain it as an elite sport to keep the poor out basically um, so it's not as sort of this it's portrayed as this romantic ideal but that's a sort of <laughs> romanticising a lot uh, they were really good by all accounts they were hugely they? popular oh yeah so the players from they picked players from other teams so a lot of the early England games had nine or ten players from Corinthian FC. So they were this hugely popular and hugely successful team. Um, And they'd go on world tours and they toured Brazil. And apparently this group of men who founded Sports Club Corinthians Paulista, the Brazilian Corinthians, um, were encouraged by Charles Miller to call their club Corinthian. Again, whether that is completely true or is sort of become part of the the myth and legend of Brazilian football is not entirely clear. But it, it fits into this idea of him as the central character in in propagating football in, in Brazil and specifically in the state of Sao Paulo. Corinthian, I guess, is kind of like an invite-only team. Um, you had to get picked um, and he would have yeah. been playing for the, for Bannister Court School at the time and and then I think, as you said, he played for Hampshire or Hampshire 11 and, and effectively got scouted for Corinthian and went on to play for St. Mary's. And there's a really good um, Saints stats website called saintsplayers.co.uk. Um, and they have him playing four competitive games or have Charles Miller playing four competitive games for Southampton, um, as well as a bunch of other um, mm. friendlies, which I think at, at the time in that kind of late 19th century, they the teams were amateur and a lot of the games were friendlies. But yeah, yeah. Uh, in this interview in the Daily Echo, um, uh, an archivist at the Hampshire Record Office, Mark Pitchforth, um, has, has dug out this quote that kind of describes um, Charles Miller as a, as a skilled athlete, slightly built. Um, he earned himself the nickname Nipper, but his size didn't stop him from becoming a prolific centre forward and a sprightly winger. Um, so when he returned to Brazil, um, mm. having having this experience of playing for Southampton um, under his belt, he, as you said, he set up he set up the league 
the Sao Paulo State League and and his team won it, I think, for the first three years, yeah. didn't they? And he was top scorer for a couple of, couple of years as well. They did, yeah. Um, yeah, they won it three times just after it was set up and then a fourth time okay. in his last season playing. Um, so, uh, and then he retired and he became a referee um, after he retired and started refereeing pretty much all of the games, important games in history, if, if legend is to be believed again. I think, again, it's sort of... <laughs> what, what I found, one of, the, one of the interesting things as well that came out of it was um, just a, a little quirk of history, I guess, but he left Southampton on the 5th of October, 1894. And the next day, uh, the recently rechristened Southampton St. Mary's played their first ever league fixture, um, which was against Chatham um, at the Antelope Cricket mm. Ground. Um and Saints would go on to win the Southern League for the first time three years later. And then reach, they reached their first FA Cup final in 1900. Unfortunately, Charles obviously missed all that because he'd left, he'd left for Brazil just prior to it. But he's, he's an important figure um, in the club's history and one I think that not too many of Southampton fans are really familiar with. So it's really interesting to, to, to learn more about him. Um, and... and in those four mm. competitive games for Southampton, he won a cup. He won the Cricket Club Charity Cup twice, um, which had, that tournament didn't catch on. I don't think not quite like the FA Cup, <laughs> but um, but yeah, he he obviously was a was a very very good player. And then returning to Brazil, um, won one more trophies there. If if you had to ask the average per, the average football fan on the street in Brazil, how how well known is Charles Miller? Among people who have a strong interest in football, I would say he's a well-known character. Um, I was saying to you before, before we started recording that the main municipal stadium in Sao Paulo is called the Estadio de Paquimbu. Um, it's in the Paquimbu neighbourhood where Charles Miller was born. Um, and outside the front of this stadium, it's a wonderful stadium, uh, this huge, lovely Art Deco facade um, sort of built into a valley in the city. It's a wonderful place to watch football. Um, and outside the front of the stadium, there's this huge square where fans gather and drink and little fireworks before the games. And that square is called Praça Charles Miller. So every time you go to a football match at this stadium in Sao Paulo, you are reminded of him and those who know why he's important are reminded of his story. So it is, he does hold a, a central place in the Brazilian football imagination for those who know a lot. Um, and inside the stadium, there's a football museum. Um, and he features fairly heavily in that as well. So the, the Liga Paulista that he, he formed, and you, I think you touched on it earlier when you said that initially the game was, was mainly for the elite of the society and and that was kind of the British expat community um, largely. Mm. But then I guess it was a case that once the locals got the hang of the game, they quickly started outperforming the likes of Charles Miller um, and (laughs) without um, kind of uh, projecting it too far ahead, they basically, the Brazilians basically started playing much, much better than the English, which is, which is how it's been ever since, really. Um, but it, how did how did that happen? Was it just a case that the, the game just just caught on uh, 
outside of the walls of these of these elite clubs? Yeah, so it wasn't immediate. I think people started playing immediately, playing outside these clubs. There, there's a there are these floodplains on the sides of the rivers in Sao Paulo, um, which when they're dry were used as the football pitches, and they're called Varzia, the, these floodplains. And so all amateur football until now in Brazil is known as Futebol de Varzia, floodplain football. Um, so the working class would play out there. And then as they got better, as they improved, they formed their own championships. So there were two separate championships, one for the working classes and one for these upper class uh, Brazilians, European uh, expats, immigrants, um, and a separate championship for the working class clubs, which Corinthians played in. Um, and then they merged. These two championships ended up merging uh, around sort of during the First World War, around that time. Um, from there, it still wasn't a professional game, but from there, a lot of players started getting paid. So the teams would be linked to a factory or would be linked to a certain industry and people would give these the best players jobs in their factories where they effectively had to do nothing um, and then they would play for the football team on the weekend. So pref professionalisation crept in, which allows working class, like it was the same effect in England, that allows working class people to play football with the idea that they might be able to make some money out of it. Because if you work in a factory six days a week, you might not want to play football on your, yeah. your day off. But if you have a chance of doing it professionally, then it becomes a sort of feasible pastime. Um, and you were talking about the film that you watched, uh, which is about Charles Miller, and the other main character in the film is Arthur Friedenreich, um, who was a Brazilian man of mixed heritage. So his dad was a German immigrant, uh, expat, part of this wealthy elite, and his mum was a black Brazilian teacher. Um, and he had a hugely central role in popularizing the sport because he had a foot in both worlds. Um, he, he could play for the elite club. He played for Germania, which was another one of the, it was a German um, expat club that played in the elite league. Um, and he also reportedly played on these, in these Vazia games on the floodplains with the working classes. And he was the first Brazilian football superstar. He was incredibly good. Um, he scored hundreds and hundreds of goals in his career. Uh, later in his career, um, he, his team, Paulista, Paulistano, uh, toured Europe and wowed crowds in Europe. There is footage of it, which is interesting. Uh, they toured France and uh, Austria, I think. Um, and there's a direct link there. So, so when he was a young player, Arthur Friedenreich was a young player, um, he was taken, uh, Charles Miller took him under his wing and sort of like nurtured his talents and saw how good he was. And he 
helped popularize because there was this figure who was more representative of the Brazilian people, slightly more representative mm. of the Brazilian people, who, who people could see themselves in to some extent, um, who helped to make, who helped to take Brazilian football from what Charles Miller had built and turn it into something approaching what we know now. So he kept playing all the way through to professionalization in the 30s. Um, in 1933, the Sao Paulo State League was professionalized. So there is this direct sort of line you can trace back from Charles Miller to what we know now um, via a few other characters, which is really interesting, I think. It is, yeah, it is really interesting. And that the film at the very end of it kind of makes the point that um, Friedenreich is not forgotten, but is not held in the same mm. regard as the as as players from the 1950s, like Pele and Garincha, that have obviously kind of are, are legends of Brazilian football, winning the World Cup. Um, in 1958 was the first one, was it for Brazil? Yeah, 58. Right? They they reached yeah. the well. They, they played the final game of the 1950 World Cup and famously lost to Uruguay in the Maracanã, right. which is the great yeah. sort of tragedy of Brazilian history. Um, yeah. But he, but I guess the, the point the film was making that is kind of Friedenreich was the first Brazilian superstar, I guess. Mm, absolutely, um, yeah. And, and is, not, is not really held in the same regard that the likes of Pelé um, and Garincha are. And, yeah. and I guess if you move, move on um, to present day you've got the likes of Neymar but mm. I thought it was another it was interesting as well um, what you were saying about the tours because that's something that the the film also touches on um, and obviously Corinthians and whether Charles Miller had a hand in naming them um, it suggests that he he did but also just it's really it's really kind of cool to see the footage of Brazil the Brazilian national team which which was a kind of combination of the best players from Rio and Sao Paulo coming together to play Exeter City. Yeah. <laughs> which the is, is Exeter some really, <laughs> yeah. Exeter were touring Brazil. I think it was like early 1900s. Um, 1912. And there's, 1912 was it? Okay. Yeah. There's some great footage in there of, um, of that game and, and the Brazil, the combined Rio, Sao Paulo, Brazil team beat Exeter 2 0. Um, which uh, I'd love to see that game um, present day and see what the <laughs> score would be. But um, but it was also it was also cool to see that when I forget the name of the team that Friedenreich would have been on, but when they went to tour Europe, and as you said, they they played ten games, I think one one nine, lost one, beat the French national team mm. six or seven two, um, and and I just think it was just cool to see that 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 bit of football history of of these like people didn't didn't know anything about um players from different parts of the world and you'd have these brazilians coming over to europe and playing playing the national teams and just absolutely thrashing them yeah, um, yeah. and there's some really cool footage in there um so it's it's worth watching really for that mm. alone I, I said to you before the before we started recording that it has a little bit of a kind of gcse vibe to it <laughs> um, yeah. when you're watching it it's about an hour long i think it's about 68 70 minutes um and it's very factual. Lots of uh, old Brazilian talking heads um, going through the story of Charles Miller and then through Arthur Friedenreich. But if you're interested in um, football history or, or Brazilian football history, um, and it does mention Southampton several times early on, 
Yeah, they do refer to it as Southampton, uh, two separate words rather than Southampton, but I think that might just be a uh, um, uh, a captioning uh, thing. But it's, it's, it's a cool piece of history for Southampton fans and it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah. Um, Southampton did an article on him and, and quite cleverly called him uh, the patron saint of Brazil. <laughs> um, and also mentioned that the first Brazilian to play football in Europe, effectively. I mean, as you said, he was... He was Brazilian-born uh, to, to to parents from from the UK, mm. but effectively, he was a, the first Brazilian to play football in Europe. Um, so, a bit of a trailblazer there. The other thing I came across that I wanted to ask you about was, and I couldn't find a definitive answer um, when I was googling it, but there's something called uh, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation now, but it's like a Cali. Calaria, is it? Or a C-H-A-L-E-R-I-A. And it means kettle or teapot in Portuguese. Um, and apparently it's a corrupted form of Charles because there was a, a, a move called the Charles Miller, which was, depending on which bit of the internet you read, is either a Rabona or a rainbow flick. Have you ever come across that? A Chaleira. Chaleira. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no, that's, I've not heard that one. Yeah, it was... It's um I it was on it was on it was on one of the articles that I was reading mentioned mm. that he was the first person to do it and one article said that it was kind of um he'd have the ball at his feet and he'd use his heel to like flick it over right. the opponent's head um which sounds to me more like a rainbow flick yeah. but then another article said it's a rabona mm. um and then I thought I'd found the answer because you, do you know the journalist Tom Williams? Yeah. I think he does some stuff at Eurosport. He 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 did a, he had a book. Um, I forget the name. It's something like it's like it's a glossary of football terms, mm-hmm. and he has a, a entry on the Caloria, and he basically hedges his bets over uh, whether it's a Rabona or a Rainbow Flick. But it, it, by all accounts, it, it was named after Charles Miller, mm. um, which is which is quite interesting. I thought. Um, Another another little piece of football history related related to him, um, but yeah, it's worth checking out. I think it is. It's, it's, it's a great story. It's a great story, um, yeah. and something for Southampton to be proud of. I think Southampton integral part in introducing football to the nation that went on to be the greatest at the game. It's it's something to it, it's something to be proud of for sure. As far as club legends go, I mean, there's Matt Letizia at the very top, but I think this mm, yeah. Charles Miller is underappreciated for sure um, among Southampton fans. It's pretty, it's pretty interesting to have a character like this, as you say, going on to to be one of the the most important um, kind of originators in football in in mm. the country that has won the World Cup five times. Uh, and as you say, there is, I guess, there's some dispute over whether he was the first to introduce football to Brazil, as there always is when you're you're digging back through history. There's always someone that, or a few people that can dispute that. But I think it's fair to say that, as far as turning up um, off the boat from from Southampton with a with a set of Hampshire FA rules and a couple of footballs, he was he was certainly one of the um, one of the first people to set up mm, organised yeah, football definitely. in Brazil. I guess it's fa- fascinating um, Charles, where Charles Miller's story fits in, and and his dad John Miller was um, I, was he one of the first, or what sort of time period are we talking when um, there was kind of mass European 
uh, immigration to Brazil because I think John Miller came over in the kind of 80, mid 19th century and then obviously he had Charles Miller in the in the later 19th century but was it fairly common for for immigrants from Europe and Britain in particular to move to Brazil to start new lives? Um, th- there are sort of two separate points here really I think that there's a mass immigration that starts later uh, that starts in the 1880s and 1890s and goes all the way through to well, there are two waves in the 20th century. The First World War and the Second World War bring a lot of um, immigrants, mostly from Italy, a lot from Italy. A huge percentage of the population of Sao Paulo now can trace their roots back to Italy. Spain, Portugal, Germany, Poland, uh, a bit from Holland as well. Uh, but before that, a lot of the European immigration was bringing skilled labor uh, to help with the industrialization process. Uh, so it wasn't huge in number. Um, it, w- it was a small sort of upper and upper middle class uh, section of the population. And Britain had a, a very strong influence on that. People underestimate, because it wasn't formally a colony of Britain, uh, people underestimate the the influence of Britain in Brazil and in Latin America more generally. Um, Britain always had a close relationship with Portugal, um, and Britain helped Portugal and financed Portugal in the Napoleonic Wars. Um, so uh, Portugal owed quite a large debt to the British Crown. Um, the, the when uh, Portuguese royal family escaped Lisbon and went to uh, Rio in the early 19th century. They were escorted by the British Navy um, and they were indebted to the British because of that. So a lot of the raw materials and gold that was exported from Brazil went to Britain, um, went to funding the the lavish lifestyles of the British upper classes, um, <laughs> which is 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 disgusting, really, um, on a lot of levels, but is an interesting historical fact which is quite often overlooked. Um, and when Brazil wanted to industrialize and wanted to put railways in to transport coffee and raw materials from the countryside to the port cities they brought in British workers um, and they had a big influence on culture, Brazilian culture at that time. So the, the football, the introduction of football can never be um, taken out of that context. Right. You, can't, you can't have the introduction of football without the British uh, domination, economic domination of, of South America. Um, and the people that they brought across. Because with those engineers came teachers, um, their kids, uh, other British people working, British uh, politicians and uh, industrialists and people wanting to set up factories, textile factories. So it brought this wave of, of the British sort of industrial, industrialist classes to, to South America. And it's a very similar story in Argentina, mm. um, certainly. 
um, where there is probably even a stronger British influence than in, in Brazil. The boat that brought Charles Miller from Southampton back to Brazil um, was a regular route from Southampton to Sao Paulo, or to Santos, to yeah. Buenos Aires, to Uruguay, and then back. That was a fairly um, kind of regular uh, passage for that boat. And that's the one that uh, Charles hopped off on. But it's interesting, that's the context of, that's that's the, the Brazil that, that John Miller, Charles's dad, arrived in mm-hmm. um, as a railway engineer um, to help yeah. build those railways. And that's the, the context, I guess, that Charles Miller grew up in. Or didn't grow up in, I guess he grew up in England, but that's the, the context that he arrived back in as a 20-year-old um, with a couple of footballs under his arm and, and the rules that it's, it was a very, the, the high society was dominated by expat communities and, and specifically in Sao Paulo, I guess, British at that time. Yeah, and it's worth noting as well that ha- how much of a fundamental transformation Brazil was undergoing at the time when Charles Miller returned. So Brazil was the last country to formally abolish slavery, uh, the slave trade, in 1888. So it was right in the middle of this time that Charles Miller was in England. Um, But the practice kept on going for a long time. And his family, his mother's family, who were wealthier than his father's family, were coffee growers. And coffee was grown with slave labor. So they would have been slave owners. Um, So there is this real, like, segregated two-tier society to which he is inserted and he I, I guess that's part of the reason why he was able his family were able to afford to send him back to England for an education yeah. I think that was relatively common for wealthy expats wherever Absolutely, they may yeah. be whether it was Brazil or Argentina or wherever to send the kids back to um back to England the other, to get an education. The other guy who has a claim to have introduced football to Brazil is Oscar Cox, who mm. introduced it to Rio. And he was uh, British, half British, half Swiss, and he was educated in Switzerland. And he brought football back from Switzerland. So that that is a very common story, yeah. Yeah. The other thing that caught my eye when I was, well, it's just as, as a football fan, it's interesting the way that the different clubs in Brazil, so like big name clubs that... I think lots of football fans would recognise. So we've already talked about the Corinthians um, backstory about how they got their name and how they were founded. But within the context of Sao Paulo, you've got lots of teams. So you've got Santos, which is the team of Pele and, and Neymar, but um, Palmeiras as well, which from the little bit of digging that, that I did do is is quite closely associated with the Italian um yeah, community. they were founded by the Matarazzo family, who were an Italian, a family of Italian industrialists uh, who, who wanted a way of um, uniting the Italian population in Sao Paulo. There was, no, there was no such thing as Italy when a lot of the Italian immigrants came to Sao Paulo. Mm. Um, so they wanted a way of uh, giving a sense of community to the people they, they saw themselves as Calabrians or Neapolitans, Neapolitans or, or Lombardians. There, there was no unified Italy. Um, so they, they wanted a sense of unification of the Italian peoples in, in Sao Paulo. And the way they did that was forming this sports club, Palmeiras, which was initially called Palestra Italia. Okay. Um, so, yeah, there, there's a lot of 
like clubs that come out of these these immigrant populations. And Oscar Cox, who I mentioned before, uh, helped form Fluminense, mm. who are a famous club until until now, um, if not particularly successful anymore. <laughs> yeah, but it's just it is incredible to think that basically 120 years ago. Um, we're talking about that in the context of things it's not that long ago um, and mm. how quickly the game must have taken hold in the country um, because as we said by the 1950s um, you had players like Garincha and Pele and they were and they were World Cup winners yeah, and that's yeah. effectively well, 30 years after Charles Miller stopped playing um, yeah well but even before that even before that 1938 World Cup is a huge point, an overlooked point in Brazilian football history. Um, and you can trace a direct line from Charles Miller to that team. Um, and they got to the semi-finals of the World Cup and had two brilliant players called Leonidas da Silva and Domingos da Guia, um, who, who were two, again, overlooked, a bit like Arthur Frinonais, overlooked mm. in the history of Brazilian football. But they, they could have won the World Cup. They, they were good enough to win the World Cup. Um, so it's really, it is this short time period, for, and that's 25 years after Charles Miller stopped playing. Um, so it's this explosion of popularity from when he comes to when they become a, a genuine yeah. force to be reckoned with in world football. And the club that Charles Miller was a part of was um, the one you mentioned. Is that still going then in Brazil now? Yeah. They still exist in an area called Igenopolis in the centre of Sao Paulo, which is not too far from uh, the Pacaembu neighbourhood where, where, the, where's the, where's, where there's the big square right. named after uh, Charles Miller. Right. Yeah. It's fascinating. I mean, you could talk about the history of um, <laughs> well, Charles Miller and the history of football in Brazil for a long, long time. Um, mm. But it's um, is there anything that you would point people towards if they wanted to to learn a bit a little bit more about well, one Charles Miller and then two kind of the history of of football in Brazil? Uh, there's a David Goldblatt's book. David Goldblatt's a football historian who's written a history of English football, a history of world football, which are both excellent, and a history of Brazilian football called Football Nation. Um, so yeah, David Goldblatt, Football Nation, that, that takes Brazilian football and tells its story in the context of politics and society, mm -hmm. which is something that can never be, uh, something that can never be taken out of it. Um, so it, that's a really good resource and it's easy to read and um, not, not too heavy. So it, it's well worth reading for anyone who has even a passing interest in Brazilian yeah, football. Yeah, sure. Um, and uh, and I guess if anybody's interested as well, definitely check out Yellow and Green Football. Um, for Have you got anything lined up coming up in the pipeline over the next couple of weeks that people should look out for? Um, we'll have a few more podcasts out over the next couple of weeks. Uh, hopefully Tom uh, Sanderson, who, who works with me on the site, is going to update people on the situation with regards to Brazilian football and uh, the the coronavirus and how things are progressing yeah. and whether football might return. What is the, what is the latest on that? Because, I mean, again, uh, I'm, ba I'm based in America, but as far as the Premier League goes, it sounds like they're trying to push ahead for June. And I saw something today about the Bundesliga. Um, 
getting the green light um, as far as as far as starting restarting in Germany in May. So, what's the situation in Brazil with football at the moment? Um, it still seems a way off. The president Jair Bolsonaro is very very keen for football to return, um, maybe to distract people from his idiocy. Um, uh, he's pushing it. He, he's really pushing it. Some of the federations want it to return. A lot of club directors want it to return because they've, they've got money, like everywhere in the world, money's going out, but none's coming in. Right. Um, but the players are quite reluctant. Uh, Hai, the Brazil captain from the 94 World Cup, who played for Paris Saint Germain in the 90s, um, he is a club director at Sao Paulo now. Um, and he called Bolsonaro irresponsible uh, for suggesting that football should come back because uh, the, the progress of the virus is a bit behind it, what it is in Europe, in Brazil. So we're further back on, on the curve, as it were. So, so it's really, it's not the time. Like, yeah. if we're being honest, if we're being frank, it, it, now is not the time. Um, but there is a sort of push from some... Uh, some of the powers that be to get it back, even though it really is not the safe thing to do. So yeah, one of the players that, that Southampton, uh, Southampton haven't had a great record of signing players from South America. Um, but one of the ones we wanted to mention was Danny Osvaldo because um, right in hearing that he's back after his uh, music career, he's back playing football, is that right? That is, uh, the, the rock and roll career has been left to one side temporarily. <laughs> um, the... Banfield manager uh, Julio Cesar Falcioni is, I think, I think he's a friend of Daniel Osvaldo and he's obviously gotten on the phone and convinced him to come back basically by saying you can do whatever you want as long as you play well at the weekend. <laughs> uh, I think that's the, that's the doesn't include, style. That... Yeah, it doesn't include punching people in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think there was an interview in the Argentine press where he's, he, he said the, the reporter asked him, the manager, what, would, what he does if he sees Daniel Osvaldo smoking in the changing rooms. And the manager said, I ask him for a cigarette, um, <laughs> which is the sort of South, South American approach to man management. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, I... I'm not sure what the best way of managing a player like Daniel Osvaldo is, but I think you've just got to roll with yeah, it, haven't yeah. you? You've just got to have that that um, that mentality. Um, and um, uh, just he scored. Just worth mentioning this: he scored ne- nearly scored the goal of the year um, just after <laughs> he came back. It must have been his. I'm not sure if it was his return or uh, a couple of games after he returned just nearly scored the most incredible lob against River Plate in the Argentine league. He's playing for, for Banfield, um, who aren't great. Um, they're a sort of mid-ranking side. Um, and nearly okay. lobbed uh, Franco Armani, who's the Argentina national goalkeeper from 35 yards. It's brilliant. Go <laughs> if it, I'd recommend going on Twitter for people uh, if they haven't it. seen yeah. it. It's, it's fantastic. It's 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 classic Osvaldo. <laughs> it's just like he's capable of absolute genius. Um, as Saints fans briefly saw with his goal against Man yeah. City, um, with one of the, probably the uh, the only highlight of his career at St Mary's was when he 
turned uh, the Man City defence inside out and then picked out the top corner. I think Joe Hart was in goal at the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, this this clip of his nearly goal, yeah, he, he completely skins a defender and then tries to lob the keeper from 35 yards. And if it had gone in, it would have been an absolute wonder goal. Um, that's what he's capable of, but he's also capable of um, the bizarre <laughs> as well. And the bizarre happens a lot more frequently than the genius, uh, unfortunately, uh, as Southampton found out, I think. But he's uh, he's certainly a character, certainly a character. But Josh, no, it's, it was great chatting to you. And thank you very much for, for taking the time to speak to us. Um, check out Yellow and Green Football uh, if you get the chance. Uh, it's a great, great resource and some great interviews there with um, with some with some Brazilian players that that may well be on their way over to Europe at some stage whenever football returns from this um, yeah this absence. But yeah, no, thank you very much for joining Thanks us. Thanks for having me. It was good to talk about uh, one of the most important figures in the history of Brazilian football. Yeah, no, it was great. It was great, and hopefully, um, yeah, hopefully, he gets a bit more appreciation. Right, Jack. Let's bring you back in. What did you make of that conversation about Charles Miller then? Yeah, I thought it was fascinating, Pat. Um, I can I can admit easily that I had no knowledge of that bit of history before listening to that chat. So, yeah, really interesting. And I can safely say that I'm going to be getting Miller 9 on the back of next season's Home Saints shirt. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, really good. Anyway, who have we got on next week's show? Glad you asked. Next week, we are speaking to Hartford Athletic Manager and former Saints player and coach, Radi Jahidi. We're not. We are. Big Radi. Big Radi is on the podcast. We will be speaking to him about what he's up to in America, which I think, like most people, is not a lot at the moment because of coronavirus. But we'll also be chatting to him about his Saints career, a bit about um, coming over uh, from Tunisia to play for Bolton and that crazy Bolton team that he was a part of under Sam Allardyce. A bit about coaching at Saints, a successful academy coach, won um, under-21 cup and got the under-23s promoted. So we'll cover that. And then his ambitions for management. I think he's been pretty vocal before about talking about managing his national team, Tunisian national team, and potentially managing the Premier League one day. Um, So we'll cover all of that, I think, basically. Sound good? Looking forward to it. All right, then. Until next week. See ya.